Hello everybody and welcome to episode number 152 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike. I am Mike and with me as always is Hannah. How are you this evening? Uh, I'm well, slightly crippled, but you know, that's situation normal for me. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad to know that uh, things are coming to a middle. But uh, yes, we are back. It is uh, Friday night. Uh, I had to think about that because it's the Easter holidays and uh, time is meaningless, really. Days of the week it's are meaningless. It's the term one holidays for school as well. So it's, uh, yeah. Full on, full on kid. Uh, it's days are meaningless yes, at the yes. moment. It's all starting to blur. Um, so yes, it's, um, it is the, the weekend. So we're going to uh, relax and watch a little bit of television, namely... Uh, the second episode of the seventh and final season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the episode Know Your Onions. Uh, Hannah, would you like to just tell us a little bit about this episode? Well, of course, Michael. Um, Okay, the plot says, with the identity of the timeline unravelling thread revealed, the team's mission to protect him at all costs leads each agent to question their own values. It is directed by Eric Lanaville mm-hmm. um, and written by your friend and mine, Craig Titley. Excellent stuff. Um, okay, well, I'll be looking forward to discussing that. Uh, I, uh, I I think this is going to be a very enjoyable season of the show. I seem to yeah. remember liking it quite a lot. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like I can, re- I can remember reasonable amounts yeah. about this season compared to... Because I think this one is so... It's very identifiable. It's the season where dot dot dot. Mm. You know, it's it's not. It's one of those seasons where, yeah, it's quite easy to encapsulate it. But uh, but also, a lot of the time with seasons of Marvel's Agents of Shield, what I find tends to happen is there'll be storylines that I think run for an entire season that last two or three episodes, and then there'll be a whole chunk of story I've completely forgotten about. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that this will be another one of those, but mm. I look forward to finding out. A quick little bit of housekeeping before we get into that, though. Just a reminder that we always appreciate feedback at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmod.com, or you can leave us messages on our, or comments, I should say, on our YouTube channel, uh, and we'll read those out if they feel feedback-ish in nature. Uh, also, we are on Instagram and Twitter, where in both cases we are Rewatch Project. No, we're not. We are at Rewatch Proj. Uh, that's Rewatch P-R-O-J. And um, also reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify are greatly appreciated. And don't forget to check out our friend shows, the um, His Film, Her Movie, Chinstroke vs. Punter, For Good, The Bad and The Odd, Talk Without Rhythm Podcast, uh, uh, Film Busters, and Entertainment Landfill. So... Uh, Yes, you say um, the good, the bad, and the other. I did, yes. Uh, so, Hannah, um, do we have any feedback? We sure do. Okay. Let's go. Jack Dubs. This is on our last episode, number 151. He says, and we're back. Brief thoughts on your Sorbet episodes. Number one, Battlestar Galactica. I have a love-hate relationship with BSG. There are bits of it that I consider to be some of the most compelling television I have ever seen. And then there are parts that I consider to be utter drivel. (laughs) Uh, Number two, Time Cop. Love me some JCVD. Love time travel stories. Love Mia Sara. Love Ron Silver playing a double role as the younger and older versions of the same character. I could watch Time Cop on repeat and never get bored. That's something we didn't talk about that much, actually, is because we talk about Ron Silver... As the Weasley shit heel, but 
He's also really good as the slightly less certain of himself, kind of confused younger version as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's got range. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you, Jack Dubbs. I could absolutely watch Time Cop on repeat and never get bored. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. A lot of films from that era are like that. Like Demolition Man's is the one I compare it to. That's a film that you can just watch. You can watch that once a year and enjoy it as much as you did the time before. Yeah. Uh, okay, number three. Parks and Recreation. While I do enjoy Parks and Rec, it's one of those shows that I started watching years ago but have never gotten around to finishing. Once I do, I am sure to come back to your sorbet video on the finale. You're in Make for sure train. you do because that last season, the last few seasons are great. Um, the last season, like I, I loved it as a whole, but I do concede that there were a few... Not subpar, they just weren't quite as amazing as some of the earlier seasons. Well, well the final season almost feels like a kind of epilogue. Mm. Yeah, I think it took a while to get um, into the the frame of it because it jumps forward like three years or four years. Something yeah, so like it has that. to rebuild momentum. Yeah, um, so you kind of have to get back into it, but um, but it's great. It's great, and yeah. I love it. And, and, and the way that it finishes the character arcs is perfect, particularly if you do find yourself becoming invested. Yeah, in absolutely. Which I think is inevitable if you watch the show. Um, he goes on to say, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 1 is just the bee's knees. I love every damn minute of it. One of the many interesting things that came from Elizabeth Henstridge's cast and crew YouTube watch-along was the revelation that the entirety of season seven was written and filmed around the availability of certain people at certain times of the shooting schedule, meaning that some scenes in this episode were filmed weeks or even months apart. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I did say, I think you might have been Jack Dubbs or Silver Surfer, that, um, that, that I think that they, they had the, the whole season in the can for right. a while before they actually aired it. And I think partly it was because they had to film it all because they were editing it out of order. Right. Um, he then said comment number four, but I think this is number three. Um, tell me... Jack, well, there is time travel going on here. Yeah, isn't tell there, me, so. Jack, if I've missed one of your comments. Um, I trust you're both doing well. Ankle is healing slowly but surely. I have to wear a big moon boot, but I have been told by the doctor that I can take it off for good in a week or two. Excellent. Looking forward to getting back into season seven of this wonderful and much missed show. Mm. Yes, much missed indeed. Glad to hear you're on the moon, dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Actually, you're, you're, you'll probably have the moon boot off by the time this comes out or yeah. even by now. Um. Yeah. We're thinking of you, and thanks for your feedback, mm. as always. Always appreciated. Um, Silver Surfer says, Greetings, my fellow dorks. Oh, shoot, I've just missed the email. Greetings, my fellow dorks. Hope this finds you all doing well. What I remember most about the premiere is the clothes. Mm. Our team looks too good decked out in old-school clothing. Um, also need to give a shout out to Clark Creek for his amazing acting when he downloads the recent past events. Such an emotional scene. Mm, yeah, it's a tricky one. He's just joined the cast of How I Met Your Father. Has he? <laughs> yes. <God. laughs> Clark Creek's got to eat. Um, absolutely. 
nothing against Clark yeah. Gregg doing that. I just and he is great in that scene because I mean, it, the, I mean, one of the things about science fiction is sometimes you get to act things that are outside of human experience. Mm. You know, but there isn't actually, and that's why it cracks me when people talk about sci-fi being silly and sci-fi being kind of not legitimate because. Theoretically, you can do anything in sci-fi that you can do in straight drama. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff you can do in sci-fi that you can't do in anything else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, we've been watching um, the most recent season of Star Trek Picard. Think of an actor like Brent Spiner. Think of, oh, like, yeah. the range of stuff he's got to do in Star Trek. And mm. he'd never have got to have done all that yeah. sort of stuff in, in a straight dramatic show. It just I mean, he's played, he's played literally... Every kind of character, bad guy, good guy, yeah. indifferent guy. And he's now currently playing like three versions of the same character. He's yeah. like John Noble in Fringe. You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, there are um, unique opportunities if you just don't condescend to the material because of its genre. Yeah. Um, 100%. But, uh, but I mean, now, I mean, God, we live in a world now where Robert Redford is in superhero movies. Yeah. You know, so it's. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's a perspective that can um, continue for much longer. But uh, mm. cool. Okay, so that is that everything for now? Yes, that's all our feedback. Wonderful Keep it stuff. coming, everybody. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, and uh, yes, um, we will hit pause now. We will watch Know Your Onions, the second episode of the final. That is the seventh season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then we'll come back and we will review, uh, riff on and react to this episode. So uh, back shortly. Bring it on. <laughs> Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies. Oh, and many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f- and we're back so we've just finished watching know your onions the second episode of the seventh season of marvel's agents of shield um and as we always do i am let's start with your thoughts on this well pickle my onions and call me barbara (laughs) it was a great episode i loved it and i love the conceit of uh, the fact that they've all jumped to a different time now, and poor old Enoch is left behind. It's like Quantum Leap, isn't it? It's the kind of the um, the. I'm surprised that they didn't have the oh boy moment at the end. You know where Scott where Scott Bakula kind of. Uh, <laughs> I I remember this episode. I remember the first time round feeling that tension of run run, but think also thinking. He'll make it at what, just the last they, second. The, the film grammar was telling you that he was going to make it. Yeah. Um, so the fact he didn't really, I, I loved because it really subverts that. And, and, that, and yeah. it's funny because they, they've done this a few times, haven't they? This idea of people getting stuck in time and just having to kind of wait it out. Like I remember the first time I ever saw that in storytelling is that great bit at the end of um, Back to the Future 2 where... Um, Marty's gone back to 1955 again, mm. um, but the DeLorean gets blown up in the lightning storm, so it ends differently, he doesn't get back. 
and it starts raining and that car pulls up and the guy comes out and he's like, we've had this letter waiting for you since the 1800s and we had bets as to whether, and he opens it up and it's like from Doc Brown from the Old West telling him I've buried the, I remember watching that the first time and the whole audience, it was like, yeah, it was just my, I mean, and again, (laughs) the thing about time travel is it's something we've seen a lot of, but in the 80s, you know, around Terminator and Back to the Future, these were concepts that, unless you were a hardcore literary science fiction fan, you weren't familiar with. Yeah. So these tricks, like in Bill and Ted, the whole the time trick, the idea of, um, oh, we need a key to get into this building. Well, why don't we, after this, get the key and leave it for ourselves behind that sign? So they look behind the sign, it's there, and he's like, oh, great. He's like, but we've got to remember to do it. And he's like, but it's already been here, so we don't. Yeah. And they're like, brilliant. And they use that all the way through the film. They just think stuff. And it happens. Yeah. You know, and, and this was, I remember in, at the time, that just being, it was almost like a stoner conversation. Like, you know, like, whoa, you know, maybe on my fingertip is a whole of the universe. Or half our universe could be on the fingertip of another giant being. You know, those sort of things. <laughs> and, and the whole sort of, you know, character getting trapped in time but because of science or being a robot or you know well sorry a chronicon or whatever means that they can do out he's a kind of that's a sort of quite a a delicious idea that they um visit several times in the show yeah you know, yeah and, and I, d- I just think it's i love how they do it because it's equal parts completely absurd um and also sort of plausible within the universe if that makes sense excuse me it's also kind of and i've sort of i think i've sort of circled this idea before but this really sort of solidifies it like the kind of the similarities to things like the terminator and you know time cop we watched recently Mm. you know the bit in time cop where he's on wall street you know felt kind of of a piece with this and i think one of the great things about agents of shield that i think is what makes it so... I mean, there's a few things about it that I think make it special within the context of Marvel is that I think that there's very much a point around the time of probably the second Captain America film, um, Winter Soldier, mm. where it's a little bit like Prisoner of Azkaban, where there's a stylistic shift in a kind of maturation that happens. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. very much continues on with that kind of shiny, kind of futurist vibe that um, Phase 1 mm. of Marvel had. And that's why we say to people like Noel, like the podcaster Noel, who never really watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but love Marvel, are, it's like, it's not just that it's Marvel, it's Phase 1 Marvel very much continued. I just but can't understand how you can love Marvel and not have watched it. I this. think if you went back and watched it now, he'd like it. I, yeah. I, I genuinely do. Um, and I think he probably would at some point. But I'd be curious to see what he thought. But what, what I'm getting at is that the other thing that's unique about it is that the thing I really like about this show is a large part of it, obviously, is a love letter to Marvel. And not just the MCU, but there's kind of obscure corners of the Marvel Universe, like Ghost Rider and, Mm. um, you know, Mr. Hyde, you know, Daisy's dad and Quake, you know, Mm. and 
Deathlock and all these sort of characters. And these characters that we see in standalones, and you and I don't know who they are, but we're like, I bet that there's someone in the comics. All that. Yeah. So on the one hand, you've got that. But on the other hand, you've the other... So the one, the one major influence on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just the however many got decades of the Marvel comic books. Yeah. And obviously the MCU sprinkled in there as well. But the other big um, influence is Gen X popular culture, Ooh. is Blade Runner, The Terminator, Time Cop, um, Back to the Future, Aliens, mm. um, The A-Team, you know, all of, all of these sort of like Star Trek, yeah. um, these big pop culture things, and that weren't really an influence on the MCU movies. Um, the MCU movies were very much kind of like there. I'd say probably... The biggest influence, and it's kind of been written out of this a little bit because he got cancelled. I would say stylistically, if you were to look at the MCU films and say what was the biggest influence on those films, I would say it was the work of Joss Whedon. Yeah. If you look at the vibe, the kind of mixture of drama and comedy that has been perfected by MCU and he's by Marvel Studios, ultimately that came from Joss Whedon. Yeah. Um, and even before he did Avengers. If you look at the sort of the humour in like Thor and um, Iron Man, it felt like that zappy kind of... That's why Love and Thunder was such a disappointment for me, because... It was it, all one and none of the other. Yeah, it just... It was too on the nose all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I would say to anyone who is either watching this for the first time or has watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but not any of the other stuff, is make sure you have a look at Agent Carter. Yes. Especially at the moment because, you know, basically you get even more of that history around the beginnings of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. and the creation of, you know, I can't even remember what it was called to start with. Yeah. Um, you know, SSR, was it? SSR. I mean, it, it makes you realize. I keep wanting we, to say SS7. We, we, we talked about this a little bit last time about how it's a shame because Hydra and Shield are such a huge part of the comic books and they kind of firewalled that mm. um, in phase two. Yeah. Um, and there's the, the, which in a weird way was doing the show, well, the shows, Agent Carter and Agent Shield, uh, Agents of Shield, a favor. Because what it did was it ring-fenced all of that stuff for them, mm. you know. And, yeah. uh, and like I say, in the comics, and it's just, it's it feels a little bit like they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because to have this gigantic kind of, you know, like the Marvel equivalent of Starfleet, yeah, um, not part of the mythology anymore, um, really means that they've been kind of fighting with one hand tied behind their back story-wise. Mm. And I've known this secret... Wars that's coming up, which is about sword, like Agents of Sword, which is like the space equivalent. It's kind of their equivalent of getting Shield back in everything but name, yeah. because I think they've realised that without this kind of earthbound infrastructure around all of this Marvel stuff, it feels a little bit disparate. Like there was a reason why Coulson was the glue that held those early yeah, films together. Absolutely, was you need you, a hub. You need some relatable humanity. Um, 
amongst there. Otherwise, it just becomes, and that's why I think that in the last sort of few years, and COVID hasn't helped, Marvel's, the MCU started to feel a little bit messy. Mm. And I think that um, S.H.I.E.L.D., not the show, but just the, the concept offered a cohesion that I think that they maybe didn't really appreciate the value yeah. until it was had been gone for a while. Yeah, I agree um, with it. I think they were fine up until um, Infinity War and Endgame. But when after Endgame, it would have been really useful to have had that infrastructure, that universe infrastructure around to help them start building things back up again. Yeah. You know, um, well, should we get into it? Should we, yeah, uh, should we do it. break it down? Um, so we wake up and see that, um, that uh, actually, no, well, well, I'll get to May in a moment. Um, we see that Malik has hidden the Hydra juice in um, the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's funny, I, 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 I didn't mention this when we, we were sort of giving our initial thoughts, but. As he takes a sip of whiskey. <sighs> well, no, that was what reminded me was. I only say this because we've interviewed him, but this felt very Craig Titley, this episode, because we know that he's a person who enjoys finery. Mm. Like, he like he likes his cigars, um, music, all that kind of stuff. And just the sort of the fetishising of the 30s and the bar and the clothes mm. and um, the Tommy guns and all that, that all felt very Craig Titley. Yeah. You know, so I think you, you, you're seeing a bit of the, the personality of the writers here. Plus, you're in very safe hands with him. Yeah. I mean, every episode he's done has been supremely entertaining. He just yeah. knows the show. Yeah, exactly. He just knows the show so well that you know it's going to be a really great episode that's probably going to have some little Easter egg things in for the diehard fans. And also, the, 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 the Craig Titley episodes often have a kind of weirdness about them. Mm. There's something just a little bit um, kind of surreal about them. I mean, just the fact that this episode is called Know Your Onions and the there's uh, just stylistically, it's, it's hard to define, but there's everything's just ramped up to 11 a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I kind of appreciate that. And if you're going to do that, like the moment where um, at the end where you see Colson and, and co., rock up hanging on the side of the car with Tommy guns, like the Ant Hill mob or something. Yeah. Um, that felt like a, well, we can't be in the 30s and not have Coulson in a trench coat with a Tommy gun. Yeah. You know, and that feels like a very Craig Titley yeah. thing. Um, so we see Simmons and Yo-Yo turn up at the bar as well. Uh, and Coulson and Daisy argue over the pros and cons of hydroforming. And I guess that this is the sort of the dramatic dilemma of the episode. I mean, you can imagine having, like, it would be like going back in time and meeting Hitler. Mm. Do you, like, I'd, I'd want to kill him. Well, exactly. And the, the other big influence, I think, narratively on this episode is Minority Report. Because mm. the whole point of Minority Report is it's, that you um, you kill somebody before they've done it. Before they've, and, yeah. And I love the way that that's... Well, you don't kill them, you... You don't kill them, do you? You imprison them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you, yeah. you arrest them, but mm. um, but it's still the morality of judging yeah. somebody, judging and, someone and, before they've done their thing. Yeah, and and I like I love the way that that's visually um, explained in the film is that um, Colin Farrell's character, who's kind of like the uh, internal affairs, he's, he's he's giving Tom Cruise a hard time, saying that this is all bullshit, and um, 
there's a table, it's at an angle, and it's like uh, Tom Cruise just throws a um, pool ball. Yeah, mm. well, it's like a pool ball on it, and it rolls down, mm. and Colin Farrell catches it, and he's like, well, why did you catch that? And he's like, well, it's going to hit the ground. He's like, well, he hadn't yet, though. You know, so mm. it's the, the idea of fate or inevitability or whatever you yeah. want to call it kind of playing into it. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, as well, there's, there's not just the morality of it, but there's the practical considerations of the fact that, well, um, you know, if um, Hydra doesn't form, then S.H.I.E.L.D. won't be formed. And would maybe that actually be worse? Well, it's like they're saying, you know, something worse could rise up in its place and, yeah. and S.H.I.E.L.D. wouldn't be there to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and we see that. There's been a couple of episodes of Star Trek that have um, dramatised the exact same dilemma, the idea that you have to let somebody uh, die, mm. even though they're a good person because of the positive change that is enacted yeah. from the consequences of their death. But the reality in the moment of having to let that happen uh, feels like an inhumane thing to do and yeah. what does that look like and kind of just the tough calls, you know, that you have to yeah, make when you're... Like, I'm, I'm sure in a true-to-life situation, I would have been exactly like Daisy, you know, we should just kill them. Mm. But at the same time, I do... It, it gets my goat a little bit that she... Um, when it's not Coulson in charge, she just doesn't care. It was funny, I I had a note at that moment. Let's jump ahead there. This is the moment where she's got Deke on the radio and she's saying, take the shot. And I was thinking, that's really out of character. There have been times when she's been tempestuous, but that um, feels like a bridge too far. But what they did, and this was a good moment of editing, was I think they realised that because they had her constantly looking over at the clock that was down to like 14 minutes. Mm. So I think that they were implying that she, it was, it's now or never. Uh, and I think that by playing the ticking clock element of it, it made it that little bit more narratively justified mm. to be able to do it. Because part of me was thinking, and we have seen Daisy in the past be tempestuous and things like that, but that did feel like a moment of like, no, 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 We've, they've had this discussion. Um, and it isn't just, like I say, if it was just a moral thing, mm. I'd get that. But it was the fact that she had been given a really cogent, practical counter-argument as to why they have to let him live. Yeah. Like, like not just because they're the goodies, but because it actually could be catastrophic. Mm. So it, it wasn't just uh, a morality call. It was just kind of dumb of her. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, the, the writers or the directors or the editor or whoever made the call, I think sold it a little bit more by saying they've got like 14 minutes before they could not do. So maybe that puts a little bit more pressure. But I agree, and I was thinking the same thing Yeah. during those moments. Mm. Um, so they've had their argument about the pros and cons. Um, they need to reach Mac in order to um, warn him uh, and um, Deke um, about the true identity of Freddy. Um, the ankle picker. Yep. Um, <laughs> Enoch uh, is having to deal with May, uh, and she's been really kind of strange and kind of clipped and um, sort she of... She says she feels nothing. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm. Um and she talks about how she fought her way through the spirit world and then, then died. 
Um, and it's like she's in shock. Yes, yes, and and Fitz, sorry, Enoch talks about how um, Simmons used technology developed over a considerable amount of time. Yeah, as he puts it. Um, and you know, she does seems to be dealing with it very well. Um, we see Malik, uh, Freddie, take them to a train where he's, you know, ostensibly meant to just be bootlegging. Um, we see the cops turn up at the bar. Um, there's, a, there's a moment where a bottle gets knocked over and Yo-Yo sees it but doesn't react. And it's almost like, is it just like performance anxiety or is it that, she, as she says later, that she worries that the Shrike... Uh, has had something. some kind of a mm. sort of um, it's a bit of PTSD almost, mm. isn't it? I love the fact that they're hiding behind a painting and they can like they're basically the moving eye. In That's the picture. A, a very thirties kind love of it. Uh, love it Sherlock Holmes movie kind of thing. I also noticed this is the TV logic thing that obviously they built the bar set, so they're like, right, we got to get at least a couple of episodes out of that. Yeah. You know, so there's yeah. a lot, of, a lot of time in the bar. Yeah. We see Simmons suss what the um the the what's going on. Mm. Uh, and basically it's the ingredients used to create the super soldier serum. Say that, that three times quickly. Yeah, yeah, God. Um it's a good job that I've um, I've only got a small amount of whiskey left. <laughs> I'd be struggling with that. And I'd just like to polish my halo and say I'm drinking tea because I have not had any alcohol for nine months. <laughs> also, you think I've been spiking your tea this whole time. Whatever. <laughs> um, no, credit where it's due. You, you, uh, you're, you're a saint. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is the um, super soldier serum. Um, that was... I'm not pregnant, by the way. It's just nine months that I haven't had <laughs> Yeah, it's a complete coincidence. <laughs> no babies. <laughs> Well, no more. No, um, no more. But the, yeah, so this was what was uh, developed for the Red Skull. Um, May wants to get into the field, uh, and she's continuing to sort of be weird and monotone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is where she says that she's not feeling anything. Um, I like the fact that when they're talking about the Red Skull and Hydra and all this, that it's kind of a meta moment when uh, Kaylee says it sounds like something out of the funny pages. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, this was the era of the rise of comic books. Yeah. You know, um, and comic books became really popular, you know, during the war because the GIs took them with them. And, you know, the two great art forms that grew out of the war were comic books and jazz music, you know. Um, yeah. World War Two started 39, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, America came into it. Um, I know, in, it was later. 1941, I think it was. Well, um, was it later than that? So it finished in 45, didn't it? Oh, no, but, no, it was no, it was 42. Pearl Harbor was 42, I think, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. Um, hang on, I'm going to have to check now because uh, I don't want to make that mistake. 1941. So we see um, May on the... We hear May on the radio, um, but she doesn't know about Coulson yet as well, so uh, um, Simmons grabs the radio away from him. Uh, we see Freddie pull a gun on Mac and Deke uh, on the train. Mm-hmm. Um May fights Enoch. And it's so funny to having interviewed Joel Stopher and just seeing this, you know, normal middle-aged guy at home, you know, kid playing in the next room. Yeah. That he like had a fight sequence with Bing Darwin. It's yeah. just such a strange thing. I mean, you know, you've got to give him a shout out. He's he's just fantastic in this role mm. and does such a great job of 
um, emoting without emotions. And it's, it's really earned his place in the show. I think in the yeah. same way um, that the actor who plays Deke did. Mm. I think that they were characters who were recurring, but I don't think there was ever perhaps really the intention for them to recur as much as they did. Mm. But I think that they just earned their spot. Yeah, you know, on the show, a hundred percent. We see um, his circuitry show, Terminator style, during the fight, mm-hmm. and uh, Coulson gets in a stand I love, down. I love when he goes. Excuse me, I have to just go and fix my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Double meaning. Yeah. Um, May gives Coulson the cold shoulder, um, and she lets Simmons sedate her, which they all think is weird as well. Um, I love Koenig talking about being on the rocket ship and thinking that they're all Martians and using all of that kind of, uh, you know... Well, 30s language, 30s, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and he says, you know, that they can't blame someone for something that they ain't done yet as well, so that's the minority report bit. Mm. They learn that there's 17 minutes till the next window uh, that's going to occur. Uh, this is where Daisy tells Deke to take the shot and it'll save thousands of lives. Um, Mac finds the vial of... Um, Super Soldier Juice. Indeed. The Terminator Cops Turner. This is where we got Coulson in the car with the Tommy gun doing his best kind of Jimmy Cagney uh, routine. Um, Enoch finds Koenig and gets left behind uh, for, for, his, uh, for all of his thoughtfulness. Uh, and then we finish off with him tending bar for Koenig. And I kind of, I'd like to see more of that because I, I, I mean... Oh, so would I. I'd like to get an, like a full episode of Enoch and Koenig you know, just dealing with weird episode, 30s shit. I'd like to get, like, a series. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Koenig years. Exactly. And and Koenig, and this is where we, we get some nice foreshadowing. He wants to know about S.H.I.E.L.D. And he wants to learn about robots yeah. as well. Uh, and he says this is the start of a uh, marvellous friendship. So that's, uh, you know, an old, um, um, oh, gosh, um, Humphrey Bogart line. Yeah. Um and and I'll tell you what's funny as well. This isn't to do with the episode, but it finishes. And on Disney Plus, um, you get that thing where you get the title card pop up saying, "Do you want to watch the next episode?" Mm-hmm. And it reduces the uh, the credits into a small corner. I think I think it's different on different apps. But what's funny is it's the season one cast that pops up, and every time I see it, I just think, "My God, this is such a different show." Oh, you know, yeah. like you've got Fitzsimmons looking like they're about sixteen. Yeah, and you know. Uh, Grant Ward, you know, yeah. or, and it's just it's just funny seeing that. It just reminds you but, of I mean, just like how that's what sort of prompted us to go back to the start because of how far it had come. Yeah. By the end, it was just like fucking hell. I wonder what it would be like to go back and watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what led to this podcast. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts, Hannah? Um, I it was just a really solid episode, and um, I like how. Uh, there's lots of intriguing details in there, like, you know, we're not certain what's happening with May, you know, still don't know where Fitz is, um, what's going to happen to Enoch. I love the fact that he doesn't mourn for any length of time when the ship takes off. He just literally turns around and goes to find gaming. And it's like, Okay, well, I'm in 1931 now, so yeah. I'll just... I will to, readjust. Yeah, be in 1931. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just incredible. Um, it's so well done and so interesting to watch and does not diminish on rewatch. And I think the idea 
of your final season of your show being a trip through the history of your show's universe makes such sense. Mm. You know, what better way? It's kind of like what they're doing in this final season of Picard. It feels like a kind of a victory lap. Yeah. You know, let's just really indulge in the history of this world and this thing that yeah. we've that we made, you know. Yeah. Uh, and also just having fun with the, the period setting as well. The 30s are just a very cinematic... Um, Fabulous time. Great of, clothes, great, yeah. great outfits, great hair. And, and very cinematically defined as well. You know, we, mm. even now... You know, we, we the image, like I say, for Tommy going for trench coats, for noir. You know, it's become cliche, but um, that's because of its potency. Yeah. You know, um, so what are we talking about next time, Anna? The next episode is called Alien Commies from the Future. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so uh, we're going, I can't remember this specifically, but I'm guessing 50s. Based on the uh, the terminology. So the plot says, a surprise leap forward in time strands Enoch in 1931 and lands the team in another unfamiliar decade. In order to stop the Chronicoms from launching their future dismantling plan, the agents must infiltrate one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s most secure bases. It is directed by Nina Lopez-Corrado, and it is written by... Nora and Lilla Zuckerman. I was thinking, actually, um, I bet Mark from The Good, The Bad and The Odd already enjoyed this season because what they do, for each era that they're in, they kind of riff on science fiction movies from that era. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of stuff for just retro genre fans to enjoy as well so yeah. uh, I think that would be right at Mark's alley okay well that's it for now guys um, quick reminder that we really appreciate feedback at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com or comments on YouTube and uh, check out our friend shows and also um, our social media on Instagram where we are at rewatchproj uh, and we are the same on Twitter and Apple Podcasts and Spotify, re- Spotify reviews are very much appreciated so for now that is us goodbye see you later